What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? Thank you for tuning in to the Two Feet on the Ground Gravity Podcast. I am your host, Chris. We are in for a treat today. I recently had the honor of interviewing Scotty Smiley. Scotty grew up in the Pacific Northwest before he attended West Point, the U.S. Military Academy. He was commissioned as a second lieutenant and ended up serving in Iraq. And it was there in 2005 when a bomb went off and took his eyesight. Scotty had the opportunity to quit life or to persevere through the challenges. And him and his wife, Tiffany, did just that. Scotty has continued to live life. He's done some remarkable things, stayed in the military, was the first active duty blind service member. He did triathlons. Can you believe that? Triathlons as a blind athlete. He did hasn't allowed his blindness to limit the things that he's going to do in life. And him and his wife, with the organization Hope Unseen, the same title of his book, they really want to make sure that everybody knows that with hope and courage, that there's nothing that you can't overcome. And I think that's a message that all of us need to hear right now with everything that's gone on over the last couple years. So with that, I say we jump over and hear from Scotty. What is going on, Scotty Smiley? How are you, brother? Hey, great. I'm doing well. Thanks for being willing to join me on the Two Feet on the Ground Gravity podcast. Uh, we are actually in the same general area, even though this is a virtual recording. We're both in the Tri-Cities, Washington. Great place to live, yeah? Yeah, mid-Columbia River Valley, uh, where I'm from. I love it. Uh, family, um, wife's family. Uh, couldn't find myself in a better place, so... It's great to be here. I love it. Well, no one uh, that you and I do have some crossover, just meaning we've lived in the same place. We've, we've gone to some of the same places. That's kind of where I wanted to start. Tell me about your upbringing in Pasco, one of the three Tri-Cities. Uh, what was life like growing up in the 90s? Yeah, so I moved to Pasco, uh, goodness, middle of my fifth grade year. I know my, my wife and I, we have three boys now, and I, I probably told them 500 times, moving from Boise, Idaho, you know, kind of scary entering into a new school, but because I had a large family, three brothers, three sisters, I'm right near the middle. Um, I always had friends, you know, and family and, and those around to care. Uh, but it was what was awesome is entering into junior high the next year. I met my future wife, Tiffany, in sixth grade. So took a little bit of maturity on my part and uh, growth until we finally were able to date together uh, our my senior year, both of us graduating in 1999. Uh, but throughout that process, just, you know, I, not just how I was raised, but kind of how I, I looked at life was to push myself to, to not only in education, but in physical feats. Uh, I was a wrestler, football player, um, and just always strove to be the best that I can be. And not necessarily you know, to, to win or to, to be at the top of the mountain above anyone else, but just to be the best that I can be to, to not only make my life as good as it can be, but hopefully in the future to, to help others. Uh, but that's what really guided me towards the principles and in, in, in what I live today. Uh, and it kind of opened up the opportunities when I began to apply to colleges where I wanted to go and what I want to do. And in the end, um, I chose to attend the United States Military Academy. And so, you know, when you're dating a girl, uh, 
it is kind of hard to say, hey, well, I'm going to move to New York and you're going to stay here in Washington State. Uh, but in the end, it worked out. So uh, my girlfriend at the time, Tiffany, is now my beautiful bride. And I was reading last night again in Hope Unseen, and I had forgotten the impact that your older brother, Neil, had. Uh, what kind of impact did he have just on your choice to go to West Point? Yeah, I mean, having two older brothers, you I always looked up to them, you know, their decisions. I learned, you know, what good decisions they made and growing up, what poor decisions they made. And I took note, hey, maybe not do that. Or this is how mom and dad, uh, you know, caught them. So know, know what to do to, to get away if uh, I was going to go down that same route. But in the end, as my senior year, my senior year began to wane and, and not only looking at what my both of my brothers did, both going to college, but I really looked towards the leadership role and responsibilities that my oldest brother, Neil, had at the military academy. And it wasn't just you know, getting educated and then, you know, go off and get a job. The military academy, as Neil told me and, and, and I, and as I quickly found out, is they taught you leadership. You were always in a leadership role. You would depend upon your classmates, your, you know, seniors, juniors, sophomores, and freshmen to learn how to lead. And they put you in those leadership roles. And so that's what I really saw of myself and what, and why I looked up to Neil and the choices he made is because he wasn't just getting a great education and staying physically fit. He was put in leadership roles in which would set him up for success later on in life. And, and so I think that are, those are some of the main reasons that I chose the United States Military Academy. Now, I mean, that's a really small group of people that get the privilege to attend uh, the Military Academy or, or any of the other services academies as well. What is that? And you started to touch on it there. What's daily life like if you're a student at West Point? Yeah, I, anytime uh, I talk to students, even now, and even our three boys, my Tiffany and I's three bo- our, our, our boys, is I encourage anyone and everyone to join the military, to not only understand the service and sacrifices that have to be made to protect and defend our constitution, uh, but it also enables us to live the free life that, that we live. And I think more so, if you want to become an officer, it's, you know, you go to one of the academies, you go through Reserve Officer Training Corps, ROTC, or you get an, a degree and then you go to Officer, officer Candidate School, uh, three ways at least to enter in the Army. But for me, one of the great things about uh, the military academy, and I say on one hand, one great thing, but at the beginning, it was very difficult, is the stress that they impart on you your freshman year. They want to make sure that you are you have chosen the right place and that you can not only withstand the efforts and, and the demands of the academy, but more so the efforts and demands once the, the, you know, the 47 months, the four years pass by, and you're now being you're in charge of men and women and lives are going to be put on the line. And I remember my freshman year, whether it's waking up early to you know, deliver newspapers to the upperclassmen, you'd have to memorize the newspaper. You have to, you know, as freshmen, you'd have to stand out un- underneath the clock and call minutes to basically let the upperclassmen know what time it was, when formation was going to be, and then what uniform to have. Uh, you'd have to memorize the front page of the newspaper. You'd have to, you have the days of the week, which means uh, they say the days. And you say, sir, the day, you know, today is, you give the time, date, 
You then say how many days until the Army beats, you know, Ball State, then Army beats Navy, then 500th night, 100th night. So there's all these dates, and every day they change. And in the end, what the, what the military academy and, and what they're trying to do is to enable you to think, you know, off the top of your head, but be able to memorize things that are important, but at the same time, being able to do other responsibilities and being in charge of men and women, but being able to recall random information at, at a pinpoint notice. And I think that, again, is what, you know, you know led me to learn and to be the leader that I am today. Um, you'd have, you know, breakfast formation, then you'd go to classes, then you have lunch formation, you go to lunch, and then you have afternoon classes. And then in the end, after all your classes are complete, you either go to a core squad, which are varsity teams. Um, my freshman year, I, I was on the wrestling team. I was JV and, you know, two practices a day, losing weight, plus, you know, pushing through academics. It, it was a tough, tough row. And, you know, it, it, but at the same time, so rewarding that, you know, I was able to do uh, what I was able to do at that time. And if you're not a part of a varsity team, whether it's football, basketball, track, um, you know, you, you could become a part of a club team, which is like the row out on the Hudson River, there's rugby, lacrosse, and some of those may have switched to uh, the course water varsity. Uh, and if you're not any of those in which I was a part of the last three years, you do intramurals. So you still have, you know, whether it's soccer, frisbee, track, orienteering, which, as, as you know, it means going finding random points points on a on a map, and you run, and it's timed. You get little dots on your map to make sure you have the right points. Um, so every day, you're not only you know memorizing leadership. You're in charge of someone, or you're someone's in charge of you. You're counseling. They're mentoring you, uh, and then in the evening. It's a study hall. You go grab dinner and then you have study hall and then lights are up at about approximately 11 o'clock at night, which all your lights have to be off. No staying awake. I remember my freshman year, many uh, hours underneath my sheets with a flashlight trying to memorize information. Uh, but that those were the normal day. And it, and in, it was hard because day in and day out, uh, Monday through Friday and even sometimes Saturday, if there's a football game, you'd have to march. Or you have a Saturday morning inspection. Uh, they call it SAMI, SAMI, uh, where you have to clean your room out. It's just always making sure you're not only taking care of yourself, but you have other duties and responsibilities. And I think that's what was so amazing about the academy. It's, it's not just the academic and the rigors of the academic uh, schedule, but you also had physical fitness throughout the day. And then there's always constant leadership, military leadership. And I think those are three reasons, you know, I personally believe the academy, any, all the academies are amazing places to get educated at. You're an author of the book, Hope Unseen. I, I think I referenced that just a second ago, but I, I really like something you, you talk about in the book just before it was the night before you went to Ranger School. And, you know, you detailed how you had packed your bags and you even helped your your uh your roommate or your buddy pack his bags because he was a little late you know that that happens seen that one before in in my military experience as well uh but then you talked about you you laid your head down and because of preparation trust in the lord and an optimistic spirit you said it was your nyquil is that something that you feel like you've always had you know you know going through high school here in, in pasco and then at West Point as well, 
Is that just a discipline that's been in your life or is that something that you had to learn? I think, I think a little bit of both. I think it's, it has been in my life, but it's something that I have to learn, you know, not only through, through high school, you know, if you didn't prepare for a test or you didn't get an essay done, you realize, Hey, you didn't prepare, but when you do prepare and then, you know, being a faith-based man that you have to trust in the Lord if you've prepared and then everything else is history. Uh, but I think i learned it far more at the Academy in which, you know, feeling I'm a stud come from Pasco high and then entering the military Academy where I, I'm now, you know, at the beginning I'm failing courses because I'm, you know, I thought I prepared, but I didn't prepare to the extent I needed to because of the transition from high school to college, I realized there had to be so much more preparedness for me to set myself up for success. At the same time, my belief in God, you know, it was still, you know, whether it's reading, you know, our daily bread or going to church on Sunday, I always made sure I made that my priorities were at the forefront of the decisions that I was making. Because I knew if, if I had God in my front, and, and I trusted him, and I was willing to prepare, then I knew I could make it through anything. And I think it definitely bode very well for me um, at Ranger School. And, and my wife says I'm a little uptight sometimes, a little type A, a little OCD. Um, and a lot of that is from the military academy. It's, you know, when you're preparing for war, you know, or Ranger School, or even the academy, you have to prepare. And, and, and I know, I, I, don't, I don't know where I heard it. It's like, you know, it's great to, to wait to the last minute to prepare. But if you don't have a minute to prepare and you've waited to that last minute, you're kind of up a creek without a paddle. Um, so I've, I've seen, you know, give me a great amount of success it's when that preparation is there. I trust in God and then everything else is history. And, and for me, luckily, you know, being new, newly married, uh, going to Ranger School right after uh, that belief structure helped me pass through in 62 days and uh, was able to see my wife again. Well, that, that type A personality resonates with me, Scotty. When I, I was enlisted in the Air Force, and when I got out of uh, both our basic and then our, our tech school and got stationed permanent party with my wife, I tried instructing her how to fold the towels. This was a very <laughs> short conversation. It went something like, would you like to be the designated towel folder? And that was her saying it to me. And I looked at her and said, no, ma'am. And she goes, I'm going to fold the towels how I'm going to fold the towels. Yeah. So I... I Yes, the military does a great job of teaching us those foundational pieces of how to be able to follow um, technical orders or, you know, precise things to the T, because yeah. sometimes we have to be perfect in those small things. Uh, now, the unfortunate consequence for young, immature uh, husbands like myself is sometimes you try to pass that on to your wife and it doesn't go very well. But thankfully, she gave me some grace. Yeah. We worked through that, and uh, and I've just learned that hey, you know what? If if I want the towels folded a certain way, I I, I should start folding them probably myself. So I'm right with you, and and it's I think it's the same with us. Is you you try to impart that uh, just vast amount of education of how to properly you know fold a towel or how to properly make a bed, and you realize you know you know in a marriage it's 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 the opposite side of the same coin is it may not look alike but it gets the job done i think what's so amazing about my wife tiffany is she's the creative one she's the inventive one she's the one that always is thinking outside of the box and i'm more of like hey where's my right and left limit or they're here you know i can't go back i can't go forward because of the rules and regulations um and she is just beyond amazingly blessed my life enable me to think outside of the box enabling me 
to understand that things can be done a certain way in a different way, uh, though I still may go around the house and fold the towels in a certain way. <laughs> yeah, anytime I try to organize something, it, uh, it, it quickly gets undone uh, with having kids in the house. Hey, uh, you, you were successful. I mean, you were successful in, in high school, in wrestling. You were a state champion. Your team was, were state champions in football, in the, in the top class in Washington State, the 4A class. You, I mean, you get accepted to West Point. I mean, these are big achievements. And you marry the girl, right? You, get, you got the girl. I mean, that's- I think that's my biggest achievement. <laughs> Amen. Yes, brother, I agree. Uh, all that preparation and all that success couldn't prevent April 6, 2005 from happening. Because sometimes in life, things just don't go right. Uh, what, yeah. what happened on April 6th? Yeah, and I think that's that's what's hard is as we live life and, you know, being a Christian and, you know, doing Bible studies every week, feeling that I was doing what I was called to do, you know, successful in high school, graduating from the military academy, infantry, ranger, airborne, you know, had paperwork even prepared to uh, potentially go to the ranger regiment, special operations. I had my life planned. Uh, but on April 6th of 2005, while being deployed to Mosul, Iraq, and Operation Iraqi Freedom uh, 3, uh, there was intelligence that there was potential suicide car bombs out in the city. And if any of you don't know that, you know, Mosul is a city of about 2 million people. So it's a pretty sizable piece of land and quite a bit of, quite a bit of people with hundreds of thousands of cars. Uh, but unfortunately, I saw a suspicious vehicle in which the back of the car was lower than the front. And given the rules of engagement, you can't just, you know, we're told day in and day out, and even today, soldiers that are deployed overseas around the world, you can't just shoot someone because you're scared. You have to see them possibly have a weapon and either discharged it, blown up, or, or killed someone or hurt someone in order to retaliate or to strike back. And so at the time, I felt I made the best decision, and I parked my striker vehicle which is this eight-wheeled vehicle. It's got a 50 caliber machine gun on top. I was standing up in the uh, front left hatch. Um, metal was about up to my chest, you know, with uh, sandbags and Kevlar over the top uh, to protect from blasts. I had, you know, flak vest on, bulletproof flat, you know, bulletproof glasses, my CVC helmet on, and, you know, carrying an M4. I was just about 30 yards away from his vehicle. So this man in his car was facing west on the road. I pulled almost parallel, was a little in front of him, just to his uh, south, and I'm facing east. So we're literally almost parallel, facing the same, different direction on the same road. No, no median, nothing in between. It's just cement. And I yelled at him to get out of his vehicle. And so he looked over his left shoulder at me, kind of over his front left, and took his hands off the steering wheel and shook his head no. And again, this just looked like an innocent guy. His head was buzzed, face was buzzed, like had a gray shirt. I remember kind of collared, you know, down to his wrists. Uh, he was just sitting in a silver opal, a little, little sedan. But again, the suspiciousness of the vehicle, the, the back of the car was lower than the front. We had had earlier intelligence that, that the insurgents were telling people to get out. So again, wanted him to get out of his vehicle. And I yelled at him again. He responded in the same manner, taking his hands off the steering wheel, shaking his head no, looking at me, and then he let his foot off the brake. And that's when I raised my M4 to my shoulder. I shot either one or two rounds in front of his vehicle, and then boom, 
my world went black. That's when I woke up about four, four days late, four or so days later in Walter Reed Army Medical Center, not remembering what had happened, but later being told that the, the man, once I shot those rounds, he blew himself up. He was a suicide vehicle-borne improvised explosive device, SV bed, taking his own life, sending shrapnel through both of my eyes, in which they were both, my left eye was enucleated, my right eye was sewn shut, and then at the time, temporarily partially paralyzed the right side of my body. And I walked, waking up in Walter Reed Army Medical Center, you know, coming from being the best shape of my life, you know, had a, was married to most beautiful, my high school sweetheart. I had great plans, future, everything ahead of us. And now my world had just been blown into a million pieces. And, you know, at the time I didn't know what I was going to do and how I was going to, you know, and how I even looked at life. And it, it just, it was the most traumatizing scenario or situation that I ever felt I could be in. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing that brother. Hey, I, I believe in this context of, of gravity, the kind of the, the reason why my, my wife and I started this podcast, yeah. that relationships have such a huge impact on giving us perspective and making sure we stay grounded. And, and in your book, Hope Unseen, you really get into some of those folks that, that stepped up. I mean, obviously your wife, Tiffany, she, she was remarkable. Yeah. You talk about so many things that she did to support you. You talk about Colonel Kevin uh, McDonald. And yeah. things that he did that were a little bit outside the box, but totally still within boundaries. But I mean, he, he sat there and made sure that, that people were going to take man. care of you. Talked yeah. about Captain Van, another leader in your life that made sure uh, that he invested in you during his, his mid-tour. Tell, tell us about some of those experiences and, and just how that, how that gave you strength or how that gave you the support you needed in that time. Yeah, it's so amazing how relationships that I had began to grow throughout not only high school, but more so the military academy and my military career really began to show itself. And and that's what one of the things that I teach my boys is the gravity of the impact that they make, the words out of the mouth and how they treat others. Because, you know, one one of the things that I, I teach them is, you know, treat others as you want to be treated. Because in the end, if you're not nice and you're not kind, to those that are around you, don't ever expect them to come and help you. Don't ever expect them to help or assist you when you when you're downtrodden and you're you're in a hurt hurting and you're hurting. Um, and so for me, it was it was Tiffany every morning, every afternoon, every evening, speaking truth, hope, and life, telling me what I was going to be. Scotty, you're going to be an author. I was like, I don't know how to write. I write, you know, you didn't even know my grade. <laughs> You know, you're going to be, you're going to be a public speaker. It's like, I don't even like people. Why would I want to talk to you? You're going to be a teacher. Like, you know, how, you know, if you can't even do well, how are you going to teach? But every day she just spoke positivity to me. And, and, you know, whether it's Kevin McDonald, Jeff Van Antwerp, and I was mad at Jeff because he, you know, he spent his R&R, his rest and relaxation. He came back to Washington, D.C. to see how I was doing. Uh, and, and I felt bad because like, geez, you should be down in the Bahamas or down in Florida, Hawaii, you know, you know, having fun with your wife. And at the time they just had their oldest daughter. Um, but it was that relationship that enabled me, that showed me that the relationship that had means something. And, and for me at the time, I, I was in a dark place. I was not in the same healthy, positive 
nature or person that I that I was deployed or even before the deployment. But it was that positivity that taught me that Scotty is a choice that you're making. You're choosing to look at this world in a negative fashion. You're choosing to not want to live life with joy. And again, it's that truth, hope, and life that Tiffany you know, was with me every day, friends, family, and loved ones that gave me the ability and understanding of, of not just forgiveness, but the fact that I can choose to live the life that I want to live. And if I want to choose to be angry, then I would. And those relationships and the and the gravity that I had would not be a gravity in which those around me would want to be a part of. And so for me, it was just that, that love and that grace that not only Tiffany, but those family and, and friends and loved ones gave me that enabled me to, to not only forgive, but to begin my recovery process and, and begin to live life fully. One of the things you, you say in your book is uh, that that Tiffany was approached by the army. Uh, and I'm sure this is really normal. Uh, when, yeah. when someone uh, experiences a, a life altering injury in, in the service to our country and was given the opportunity to, for you to be medically retired. And, and she just, she, she knew it wasn't right. I, I, I love as you describe your wife, she's a fighter. And I mean this in a good oh, yeah. way, right? Because there are times in life that we need to step up and fight. Something I try to teach my kids. Let's not yeah. pick fights, but there are times that we need to step up and be people of character and fight the good fight. And yeah. I mean, you talk about it from her upbringing, from being a soccer player uh, and being a very competitive spirited person. And now all of a sudden she is this young army wife, her husband can't see, and the army is saying, hey, you know, here's the out processing, here's the medical retirement paperwork. And, and in a really good way, she fought, she, she advocated for you yeah. Uh, and, and in your book, you say, I mean, after all, blind guys, of course, don't serve in the army. I mean, that's just common sense, right? <laughs> and it was like your, your wife just sensed something different. Uh, at what point was she able yeah. to, to really bounce this stuff off you? Or did she have to really lean on the support of some of these other folks to, to help her with that process? I think, I mean, again, I, I, I am married to the most amazing woman in the world. Um, and, and it's that love not only for me, but knowing that she knew that I was the one to choose the military academy. She knew that I was the one to, to choose to stay and go active duty in the army, that she wanted this to be my decision. But what's even more amazing about her is she's a nurse. She's a registered nurse. She quit her job to come be with me on a one-way flight from Pasco, Washington to, to Washington, D.C. to be with me, not knowing whether I would show up dead or alive, that was the commitment. It was for better or for worse. And, you know, the situation that she was now in at 23 years old, she's sitting in front of colonels, social workers, doctors, you know, someone from the VA. And they're basically saying, your husband can't see. We're going to begin the medical retirement process. She had the power of attorney and we just need you to sign this. And one of the best things about nurses is they take, they take care of people. They, they know the best thing to do for a wounded soldier is to care for them. And that's the best way. And one of the reasons that, you know, post-traumatic stress, which I, you know, originally had, but I was able to withstand and fight through because I was still active duty. I was able to stay uh, because Tiffany didn't sign that paperwork. It's funny to say, it's like, they're like, they look at each other and it's like, man, your husband has no eyes. Like, <laughs> there's no such thing as blind people in the military 
And it's not that she even had the, you know, I, I don't know if I can say, but forethought or understanding that I later would still continue another 10 years of active duty service, being the first blind service member. But what she totally understood as a nurse that to take care of wounded soldiers is that the army and the occupation in which they're a part of has to be there for them. That, you know, one of the, the sayings in the army and I'm sure the air force Marines coast guard has is like, leave no soldier behind. Absolutely. It's kind of hard to say that overseas, but then once you get back, boom, one month blind, I'm learning how to learn, live as a blind person. Now I'm, you know, I'm, you know, booted out of the military. I think that was the maturity that, and the forethought that she had, whether she knew it or not. And that's why I was able to, you know, delay the medical retirement process or the medical evaluation until a year and a half later, in which enabled me to go through blind rehabilitation school, learn how to use my computer, learn to, you know, walk with a blind stick, learn how to cook, clean and live life. Uh, but it's because of the strong decision that she made at that time in that hospital room. Uh, but it also was the reliance on the team around her, the Kevin McDonald and many men and women in the hospital that believed in what she believed in, though it was outside of the rules and regulations. It was them that she really depended upon that enabled me to stay on active duty and still serve uh, our country. Well, you didn't just still serve, Scotty. Let's be real here. You don't do anything just a little bit. Everything <laughs> you do, you take it to, to the nth degree. And that's what I love about you. Uh, so as you continued to serve, you went back to school, you got your MBA, you yeah. became an instructor at West Point, which, I mean, that's a prestigious position to hold to be teaching our future military leaders. Uh, you start jumping out of planes, I mean, with parachutes on your backs. I mean, you know, it's, it's safe. <laughs> you're, you're doing triathlons. Uh, what, what caused you, I mean, you could have done just one of these and it would have been remarkable. I mean, People going back to school and getting their master's degree is a huge feat, uh, but but you just kept on taking on all these life challenges. What was what was your motivator in in continuing to tackle all these life life adventures? Yeah, I've always wanted to, and I and it's one thing that hasn't changed is living life fully. And and I've always thought if I'm not going to live life fully, it, I'm not saying life isn't worth living, but if you can do more than what you normally do. It's going to be fun. It's going to be exciting. There may be challenges involved. There's no reason you shouldn't do it. And so for me, it's, it's you know, doing a triathlon. Hey, one, you got to get in shape. You got to swim. You got to run. You got to cycle. It's things that keep me active. Uh, it's, it's having fun and enjoying life to its fullest that enables me, that gets me outside every day to be active. Uh, and not only being an, an example, kind of a, a side side part is to be an example to others that, Hey, I may be blind. I maybe have someone's arm or on a triathlon, someone's tapping my leg to turn me. I'm on a tandem bicycle. I'm running next to someone. It's motivating others uh, while at the same time living life to its fullest and, and, and enjoying and doing what, what I feel I've been called to do. So whether it's, you know, working hard, I did everything with joy and appreciation. And at the same time, there was kind of, you know, I was at the time the first blind person. And as an infantryman, uh, for some reason, they never gave me a rifle. I'm sure someday <laughs> I'll find out why. <laughs> uh, but it was also, I was a black sheep. 
you know, I'm the only blind person showing up to a duty station. So there's already preconceived notions as humans. We look at, oh, blind, he, he may not be able to do this. He can't do this, you know, and that's the unfortunate nature of how we as a society look at disabled people is we say they can't do this. They can't do this. When in fact, I can do pretty much anything and everything I did before. I just do it a little differently. And so for me, I always had to make sure that I met the standard and many times try to over exceed that standard because I knew I was different and how people viewed me differently. And at the end, being married to an amazing woman, she's the one when my alarm goes off at four in the morning, five in the morning, kicking me out of bed. Aren't you supposed to run? Aren't you supposed to you know, prep for the triathlon? Uh, so again, it's just having an amazing relationship, an amazing team that enabled me to, to continue to serve our nation. Yeah. Wow. That's a really powerful message for people because, uh, you know, someone that I admire is an author, professor at Whitworth University. His name is Jerry Sitzer. Talks about in his book, A Grace Disguised, how a drunk driver hit him and it killed his mother, his wife, and his four-year-old daughter all at the same time. He lost three generations of women. And he, he really gets into when we experience light, loss in life, uh, that's one of the universal human experiences. All of us will experience loss, loss of relationship, uh, loss of jobs, loss of, I mean, a whole spectrum of loss. Sometimes we, we like, we classify other people's loss. Like, wow, Jerry's loss was huge. That's three women. Well, yeah, but, but Jerry really points out, no, you don't compare loss to loss. Loss is loss. And everyone's going to experience that, mourn it and have to work through it in a different way. And so someone could look at you, Scotty, and just say, wow, what a huge loss. And you're just a superhuman. I mean, literally people could, (laughs) And then, and then they could move right past the fact of whatever they're going through adversity-wise and miss some of these points that you're pointing out. The fact that you had these people that were surrounding you, the fact that you had to make a choice. Yeah, your wife says, yeah. aren't, aren't you supposed to get out of bed? It's time to go <laughs> run. But you could sit there and say, I ain't doing it today. I don't feel yeah. like it. I, I'm blind and this is frustrating. And there's all kinds of excuses that you yeah, can make. 100%. Someone that's in that mindset, what would you say to them of, of, you know, the fact that, you know, well, Scotty's just this, he, he just, he was a superhuman and, and that's why he was able to do all these things. Uh, was it easy? And, and what did, what would you say to someone who's experiencing adversity now so that they get out of bed? Yeah, I think it, it's hard. And I think you, you, you hit the nail on the head is everyone looks at the situation and their personal situation in a different fashion, in a different manner. Uh, but for me is I haven't been able to do anything in life on my own. I haven't, I wasn't able to graduate from the military academy on my own, ranger school on my own, recover through my disabilities on my own, nor live life, finish, a tr- you know, an Ironman, do anything on my own. It's always with assistance, always with someone else. But at the same time, and you, you, you again, you said it dead on, is I still always have a choice. Do I want to drop? Do I want to continue on active duty? Do we want to stay at the military academy? Do I want to go through ranger school? Trust me, there are 62 days I wanted to quit ranger school. Uh, maybe <laughs> not the last day because I was graduating. <laughs> but every day, there's a chance that we have a choice. And for me, it, it's it's my strengths and who in, in where I base my gravity and where I base my two feet, in which gives me the ability to say, Scotty, you're not a quitter. Scotty, you, you, you know, you signed up. This is something you're going to complete. This is something you're going to do. 
And you're not going to do it on your own, but you're going to trust those around you to help out. And more so, you're going to help them wherever you can and however you can to enable them to reach their goals. And I think that's what really enables me to accomplish the mission and in the end, cross the finish line. Wow. Yeah, thanks for saying. I think that's powerful for people to hear uh, as as they're moving through life. A lot of people have experienced life uh, loss in the last yes. year and a half. It's we have a lot of folks that are still grieving uh, this uh, the experience that that we've all had collectively, right. and then and then those individual experiences that have gone on over the last couple of years. Hey, as you talk about in your book, that as you overcame adversity, that you started getting a lot of recognition, and that it was really hard. It was hard to receive this recognition. Why? Yeah. I've always, you know, at least it, I, I've attempted to be a humble person in which I don't want to be recognized for something in which specifically in the military that everyone else has done and the majority are doing better than me <laughs> and, and have. Um, and so for me is I never wanted to be looked at as I'm the poster boy. Oh, look at, look what he's doing. All I wanted to do is some of the you know core army values is one is selfless service, do my duty and do it with integrity. That's all I wanted to do. And if I no one knew I was doing it, I was just doing my job. That's all I wanted. Um, but at the same time, I understand when you have a large organization, whether it's the Department of Defense, the military, the Army, Navy, Air Force, Coast Guard, is you do need heroes to look up to, and. If I was going to be recognized for something, I'm I'm appreciative of it. But at the same time, I took it in humility. And only only thing I really want to do is just to do my job the best manner that I can. And being a great example to my wife, be a great example to our boys, as as, you know, each one of them were born in different cities across the United States. But just to be that example. um, So for me, it was just as I hit on earlier is do my job, help others and know that, you know, I'm doing my job because others are behind me and right beside me helping me get the job done. Well, you, you bring up family, your wife and your kids. Uh, I, and I think you and I agree on this. I think you actually said it before I hit the record button that most important role, most important roles as, as husband and father, uh, the ones that I'm most proud of. What, what values do you and Tiffany aim at at instilling in your boys, you know, eventually they're going to leave your house. They're going to hit 18 and they have to launch out into this big, big world and, and live life and make decisions. What values do you want them to have before they walk out the door? I think it's the same values that, that I have used is, and, and Tiffany, my wife is, is to love God, uh, to have a value-based character-based ethically based decision-making process in which God gives me and and God is the lead behind why I do what I do. Uh, And then the second is, you know, and I I said it earlier is, is to love others as you want to be loved. Where if you're treating others as you want to be treated, they're going to be there for you. And I think for me in my life, I wouldn't be able to be able to continue to serve if I, one, wasn't following God just because I, I think I would have been a disaster, you know, emotionally, mentally, physically, uh, psychologically. But I think also is I wasn't able to continue to serve if I didn't have the men and women who stood by my side and helped me. And I hope that I am and continually that example to, to my boys, to my wife and to many others is, you know, 
not only to love God, but to treat others as you as we want to be treated. And I know anyone and everyone will be who will set themselves up for success. And I, both my wife and I look forward to seeing what amazing opportunities our boys uh, see in the near future. I love it. Hey, if people want to learn more about uh, your life and what's going on, uh, the best way to do that is to go to the website, hopeunseen.com. Is that right? Yeah, hopeunseen.com. Uh, they can pick up the book on Amazon. Uh, you can order it from hopeunseen.com. It, 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 uh, you're able to you know, read about our, my life, uh, Tiffany's life. Uh, and then uh, sometimes they can pick up the documentary uh, Beat Feet about me doing the Ironman. A couple, a few years ago on Amazon Prime. So again, it's, it's, you know, I encourage people just to look uh, to continue to help themselves and, and do that by helping others. Awesome. Well, thanks for being willing to join me today, Scotty. I've really enjoyed this. I think we've unpacked some content that others can really benefit from. Yeah, whether they're, they're military active duty, whether they're veterans, whether they're civilians that have, that have never spent any time in the military, I think a lot of these life lessons and experiences that you've shared are, 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 are ones that we can all learn from. No, thanks so much, Chris. It's an honor to be with you today. Again, thank you for your service. Wow, ladies and gentlemen, I got a lot from that interview with Scotty. I really appreciate him allowing me to interview him. I also hope that you were encouraged by listening to his story. If you want to hear more about Scotty, go ahead and check out his website at hopeunseen.com. I have his book. I would highly suggest reading it. A lot of encouragement in there. He also has a documentary on his website titled Beat Feet. It's the story of him training and competing in the Coeur d'Alene Triathlon. I'd also like to hear how we're doing here at the Gravity Podcast. Love for you to rate or review us. I think Apple might be the only podcast platform where you can still do that. Scroll down to the bottom, check out rate and reviews. Let us know how we're doing. If we deserve five stars, give us five stars. If we deserve zero stars, give us zero stars. I'd also like to hear from you at chris at gravityct.com. That's chris, C-H-R-I-S at gravityct.com. Shoot me an email. Let me know what you're thinking of the podcast. If you have any suggestions for future guests, I'd love to hear that as well. Uh, As for now, I say we go out and take care of our loved ones.